Hey everyone, how are we doing this week? It's Jawad with Hit The Apex Podcast, and I'm a little under the weather this week, so um, excuse me if my voice begins to break in certain spots of actually being home, uh, <laughs> so I don't spread this uh, cold or whatever it is to anyone else. Thankfully, not uh, not COVID, keep testing myself and it's it's coming back negative, so yeah, just hope I can be on the mend over the weekend, because yeah, I'd, <laughs> as nice as it is to be at home, I wouldn't mind um, being back at work as well, so yeah, um, an interesting week full of, full of news and things to talk about, uh, did a recording with uh, Grid Talk during the week as well, as part of the uh, F1 Fireside show, so keep an eye out for that when that becomes available, talking about Lewis Hamilton and his um, future as far as his, can he win um, uh, another world championship or not, so that was an interesting debate, uh, so please keep an eye out for that when that goes up uh, with F1 Grid Talk. But yeah, we had the Indy 500 as well, which I'll uh, cover off um, in the most easiest way I can. <laughs> I didn't get to watch the full race because I don't have Stan Sport. I haven't subscribed to that yet, um, unfortunately. So I just watched the half an hour highlights on YouTube. But it's the Monaco Grand Prix. And considering Monaco is a race that everyone typically thinks is boring and there's not much to talk about. There's surprisingly a lot to talk about from this year's race, you know, not only on-track stuff but off-track stuff as well. Um, the question being asked is whether this is the last Monaco Grand Prix we'll see. Um, while I don't really have a lot of debate about that um, on this sh- on this particular episode, I'm just going to say that, yeah, possibly this might have been the last race in terms of seeing Monaco as it is, uh, maybe next year, it won't be on the calendar, but I reckon it will come back in the future, provided that uh, the ACM can actually compromise and <laughs> make some changes to uh, not only the track layout, but even just, you know, things such as uh, advertising and sponsorship, which, you know, F1 likes to have its own advertising at the track, and then, you know, you've got conflicting sponsors in, in Monaco's uh, Tag Heuer watch sponsorship, and then you've got F1 Rolex, so it's kind of kind of silly that, you know, within the space of uh, 50 metres, you've got a big Rolex billboard, and then you've got a Tag Heuer billboard as well, um, and also TV direction, because Monaco likes to do its own thing, and uh, doesn't let F1 do the, F1 TV do the production side of things so yeah that's a discussion for another time but my thoughts pretty much are we won't see Monaco on the calendar next year but we'll see it back I'm sure in the future I mean 2020 we got through without a Monaco Grand Prix so I'm sure we could survive a year without it if um, it's not there but this year it kind of threw shades or was very reminiscent of uh, Belgian Grand Prix last year <laughs> that's what the start felt like anyway um, we had rain just before the race the track had been covered in uh, was covered and was you know definitely wet conditions it stopped raining yet we didn't get the race underway um, they kind of did a couple of laps behind the safety car and then headed back into the pit lane when more rain started to come and 
Yeah, we had a 45-minute delay before the race actually started. And, you know, there was heaps of things going on at the time. A lot of people criticizing race control and the FIA again. And, you know, did that old chestnut, basically. You know, we, we haven't really learnt from last year, but neither of neither of the FIA uh, from that instance um, but what it was in the end, that delay, uh, why they couldn't do a start on the grid, was apparently there was a start line electronics malfunction or something um, because of the wet weather. And what would have been nice is if that was communicated straight away to everyone watching rather than, you know, let it pop up midway through the race or I think it was even after the race that uh, it had became apparent that that was the reason why they couldn't do a start on the grid, you know, it had been delayed that long, but also the later rolling start that we had after the red flag, because many people, um, and I agree with them, were like, well, the conditions are dry enough, they're all on slick tyres to be able to do a standing start on the grid, but it explains if, you know, your your electronics aren't working to do the start light procedure, then it's better to just do a rolling start. Out of that, though, um, the way thing I took away from it was that people watching F1, you know, the hardcore viewers and all the ones who certainly the most vocal when it comes to social media are still scarred from what happened in Abu Dhabi last year. So any little, you know, uh, discrepancy by race control or the FIA is not going to be taken lightly. Um, I certainly feel for... Uh, Eduardo Freitas, who was the race director in this in, in this uh, particular race, it's only his second race in charge, um, and then there's talk about how there was uh, heated arguments going on in race control between he and, and the likes of Peter Bayer, who's now uh, mysteriously resigned from his role as being the, the head of F1 at the FIA kind of thing, um, so <laughs> it's it's an interesting little debacle. So I completely, you know, trust uh, Eduardo Freitas. He's someone who is quite experienced with uh, race direction, particularly in difficult situations and tricky uh, weather situations, you know, having done Le Mans for so many years. Uh, it was very strange of him, you know, when I saw that the race wasn't even just started at the time it's supposed to start was at 3 p.m local time that why didn't they just get the cars to circulate the track kind of kind of take the water off the track or whatever um you know like they did at Le Mans a couple of years ago it was too wet to actually start the race but they were having the car circulate behind the safety car um but instead there was no running for 45 minutes but um once everything was explained um you know it was all understandable but again that communication thing would have been nice as well if to to keep everyone in the loop certainly when um if the sport cares about its viewers which you know it's doing a lot to engage viewers these days but um at the same time it sometimes is a bit careless in areas <clears throat> There we go. <laughs> Voice starting to go already. Um, so eventually we got the race started. A rolling start behind the safety car with uh, pole sitter Charles Leclerc ahead of Carlos Sainz in qualifying. Then you had the two Red Bulls in formation uh, with Sergio Perez actually leading Max Verstappen. Now Max having a bit of a um, 
not so great weekend. I think it's kind of been masked behind uh, the performances of Ferrari this weekend in particular, but it was still a good weekend for Max in terms of his result, but he just wasn't quite there when it came to matching Checo this time, and good on Checo as well. Um, the race itself was really an intense contest of strategy between Red Bull and Ferrari, so you know this is where Ferrari seemingly lost the races because they just don't have that that wit or that sharpness yet um we keep saying i keep saying you know i keep going on about it year after year that can't they just you know get it together when it comes to the pit lane as well be a bit more aggressive and react you know as quickly as they can to or just straight away to if someone else is making a pit stop we saw this on lap 17 when perez who was third at the time came in for intermediate tyres, um, and that's when, if you're a front runner, you should respond immediately, be like, okay, Red Bull have pulled the trigger first, we need to come in now and uh, change tyres. Um, at the same time, you have to look at further down the field, Pierre Gasly was one of the ones who came in earliest to put on the intermediate tyres, and he was lighting up the, the timing screen, so Ferrari would have had that to look at as well, but they didn't. They failed to respond immediately. They brought in Leclerc two laps later on lap 19, so Leclerc's the race leader at this point. Sainz was brought in actually earlier than Leclerc. Um, so we're talking about Ferrari uh, compromising their pole sitter and race leader strategy by bringing him in two laps later. He ends up getting undercut by Checo, so that's a big win for Checo there and for Red Bull. Um, then you've got Carlos, who's determined to get on the slick tyre straight away, but intermediates were still the best uh, at, at present with the pace that we saw from Gasly. Then on lap 22, we saw Ferrari calling not just science, but Leclerc as well to pit for uh, hard tyres. So obviously Leclerc was behind his teammates, so science gets the first service. Leclerc, oh my goodness, blowing up on the radio, as you'd expect in this instance. Um, both Ferrari drivers got stuck behind back markers as well. I think it was behind a Williams that was a lap down um, on both instances so that didn't really help them in terms of coming out and trying to put in a stonker of an outlap to to nullify uh any time lost to red bull but yeah that was pretty much it <laughs> and then when you had red bull come in on the next lap to double stack their um double pit stop didn't seem as bad as as ferrari's because we had checo emerge as the race leader we also had max from fourth now ahead of Leclerc, so Leclerc was the biggest loser out of all of that kerfuffle, uh, Checo the biggest winner, and then for Max to be up into third as well, um, it looked pretty good for Red Bull, so at that stage it's like, right, you know, we know that it's very hard to pass around Monaco, this is this is the win here, we've, we've pulled off the race winning strategy, so, you know, Ferrari definitely would have been left red-faced in that instance, um, Leclerc was just when we saw Max come out ahead of him as well, uh, it was, it was on, it was quite heated, and again, for, for Max, not for Max, sorry, for, for Charles, the curse of Monaco continues, he didn't crash the car this time, but he ends up, uh, getting screwed out of, um, 
uh, race win potentially from pole position. So who would have thought that that would happen? I would have thought that he finally would have uh, broken the curse altogether and actually won the race, but it wasn't to be and wasn't even a podium finish for, for old Chucky there. So sad day for him. Uh, more on Ferrari later. Uh, as far as the rest of the race is concerned, well, we saw the massive shunt for Mick Schumacher on lap 27 at the swimming pool. Um, it was pretty horrific when you see the entire rear end of the car from the gearbox kind of ripped off and watching the marshals kind of wheelbarrow uh, that part of the car with the rear wing uh, around as well. Thankfully, the driver was okay. He also saw Kevin Magnussen out of the car. I think he had a reliability concern that they had to retire his Haas car with just before the Mick Schumacher crash. So there was the the vision of him staring at the at the big screen or seeing the the wreck. And yeah, thankfully Mick is okay because that's a really hefty shunt. And you know, again, there's question marks and criticisms about uh, Mick's performances this year. He's been crashing quite a bit. Um, that'll be a discussion for another time, I'm sure, but, um, his team boss, Gunter Steiner, certainly wasn't happy, he was happy that the, uh, the driver was okay, but I'm sure he wouldn't be happy about the damage bill that would have come in as a result, so, Red Flag was out on lap 30, um, at that point as well, given the fact that the race clock had started, um, quite late, as well, when they've got that three-hour window that they've got to be able to complete the race in or get to two two, two hours in of a three-hour window. I'm, I'm, I'm always confused about that sort of thing, to be honest. Um, we knew that the race would be time certain finish. Uh, it had to finish by, I think, 2, 2 a.m. my time here, Australian Eastern time, uh, which I think would have been like 5, 5 p.m. over there in Monaco. So they made it to lap 64, which was good because I think lap 58 was the 75% race distance to be able to be awarded full points. So it wasn't a similar situation to what happened in, in Spa last year. Um, during the red flag, we saw Red Bull switch to the medium tyres. Bizarrely, Ferrari stayed on the hard tyres. They did the rolling restart. Um, Checo had a bit of a lock-up uh, on the restart, which allowed Carlos to close in. And, of course, those medium tyres didn't really last long, so it kind of became a little bit of a train at the front there. But again, there was no room or no way that science was going to get a move done and Checo, Minister of Defence Checo, <laughs> wasn't going to let that Ferrari pass. So, you know, he held on to win the race ahead of science. So science on the podium again um, for Ferrari in Monaco and then Max coming in in third, you know, which is considering where he qualified fourth it is still a step up and another podium for him. It's more points over Leclerc in the championship. So overall, he's going to be happy, unlike his uh, dad, Jos Verstappen, who was quite critical of Red Bull compromising the race for his son and all that sort of jazz, but I don't know. I mean, it's not a one-driver team, is it, now there at Red Bull? They've got Checo there. They've committed to Checo as well, which I'm really happy to hear. They announced a two-year contract extension for him, so he'll be at the team till 2024. So if there are concerns about... Um, you know, potential conflict within the team and whatnot, then, you know, they've signed the wrong driver. But Red Bull have come out and said, uh, or Christian Horner has come out and said that he doesn't care who wins the championship as long as they can win the Constructors' Championship. 
I don't know if that's going to be the same view that he has in a few races time or towards the end of the season but like if both these guys are in it towards the end then it's it's fair game and I'm sure Max who we can call back to last year when he was talking about you know winning the world championship and what his ambitions are does he want to go on and win more championships he's like you know my dream is just to win a championship in formula one so we could bring that quote up if he gets unhappy a bit later on in the season if Checo's getting it but overall I still think that Max is the quicker driver Checo is you know very smart with what he does he's great on race day and he's been able to max uh, he's sorry not he's able to max he's able to match um, or not quite match but he's up there in qualifying too which his predecessors weren't able to do and is able to get those results on race day which has meant that he is up there and in contention so good on him the Monaco curse continues for Leclerc um, I'll talk about them separately a bit later as well just talking about their blunders so far this season um, then behind the top four we had George Russell again with a top five finish the only driver still to have finished in the top five every single race this year uh, past Lando Norris early um, and was able to just pretty much hold station in in fifth whereas uh, McLaren had to cover Lewis Hamilton early on um, otherwise you know they could have compromised p6 but Lando still struggling with a the tonsillitis there puts in that Great drive to finish sixth and also get the fastest lap as well, so an extra point for him. Lewis Hamilton, though, his race kind of was uh, hamstrung by not one but both the Alpines. Um, mentioned uh, the other day when having to look over his season so far, he ended up getting his race in Imola partly ruined due to an unsafe release for Ocon in the pits. But then this time he ends up getting hit by Ocon um, on pit exit. Uh, so, you know, he came on the radio, said the uh, Alpine just turned in on him. I don't think it was as that clear cut as, you know, Hamilton makes it out to be. I mean, there's nowhere to go for both drivers. Or if you're Ocon, you're going to have to go off at Sandevot, you know, into the runoff and pretty much ruin your race. Hamilton locked up by the looks of it. I, I saw... I think, you know, the front right tyre pinch uh, when they were going into turn one. So it was really just, you know, I could have just said it was a racing incident, but uh, Ocon was given the five-second time penalty, which ruined his race. It also didn't help that his teammate Fernando Alonso decided to be Thomas the Tank Engine on the day. He wanted to hold off um, P7, but then just slowed the pace down for the rest of the field behind. So Ocon would have wanted to try and get some kind of a margin to nullify that penalty, but that didn't happen. And then ended up dropping outside the points to, to 12th. Um, and this allowed the likes of Valtteri Bottas and Sebastian Vettel to finish in the top 10. So Sebastian, who actually had a good qualifying um was in the top 10 sorry just bringing the qualifying results up uh he was ninth so to then finish 10th is is a good result Bottas was actually 12th on the grid and came up into the points so points scoring streak for Valtteri continues in that instance um we saw no points being awarded to Alpha Tauri or to Williams uh, Haas is obvious of course because they both retired we saw Alex Albon retire as well 
Um, a bit bit painful for Pierre Gasly though, because I thought he did quite a good job on the race uh, on race day uh, to be awarded with no points. But uh, that's the way the cookie crumbles, I'm afraid. Um, Latifi finishing ahead of Guan Yu Zhou and Yuki Tsunoda, Lance Stroll ahead of him, the two Canadians trying to stay out of trouble, I guess. And then in P13, we had Daniel Ricciardo, um, and again, you know, a weekend that's been so difficult for Dan, um, and a lot of talk coming into the weekend, first of all, about um, his future with with Zach Brown having been quoted as saying, you know, he's not met our expectations, and then talking about mechanisms in, in the contract that works both ways if, if they wish to end it early, Um and when your team principal, your team boss, is publicly, you know, saying things like this, then you kind of know that things are not looking all well. Um, I really want Dan to do well. And that's the distressing part of it, is that, is it a losing battle that we're, or is it a, is it a lost hope that we're all hoping that he can turn things around? I mean, I've I've started writing something, hopefully for next week, about what what I feel about the way things are going for Dan, and unless he can, you know, find the silver bullet in the next few races and can suddenly understand this McLaren car, which, by the way, Lando Norris, interesting quote said as well that you know he's not fully um understanding this car as well either but look at where he is in the championship and you know look as look at where he finished in the race with tonsillitis too it's a stark difference and given that ricardo's your experienced and high caliber driver you would have thought that you know it would be him spearheading this effort rather than the other way around. When, but that's you know to Lando's benefit more so than uh, to anybody else's. So it's good to see in that respect. But I don't know. I feel like I really want I really want him to still do well and to see out this contract if he can with with another year to go. But there will be a time. There will reach a point. There will be. Ugh. We will get to a point where McLaren will be like, well, we need to cut our losses here and it's best if we look elsewhere and you look elsewhere because it clearly hasn't worked out. Um, I go on to make a point as well or to raise the question in hindsight uh, about looking back to 2020 and when everyone was in the COVID shutdown before we had any racing actually happen, um, and we had a flurry of driver announcements. We had Sebastian Vettel being announced to be gone from Ferrari for, for the future for 2021. Um, Carlos Sainz was brought in as his replacement. Then Daniel Ricciardo jumped ship from Renault to, Red, uh, Renault to McLaren uh, without even turning a wheel in 2020 and to see what progress Renault had made in that season um, compared to 2019, where it wasn't that great for, for he and team. The question I ask is, so if Ferrari were looking for a replacement for Vettel and they wanted the best driver out there, that could have been, because anyone can be made available for Ferrari. That's just the simple part of life. When when Ferrari call and want you to drive for them, you will say yes, as, as Carlos Sainz uh, went and said um, 
you know, after he got the call from there, so being being able to be released from his McLaren contract. How come how come they didn't go for Ricardo? That's the question I asked. You know, why didn't um, Ferrari opt to put Ricardo next to Leclerc if they thought, you know, if he is such a, you know, the prodig- prodigious talent that he is, he's an established race winner, a uh, seven-time race winner at that stage. You know, he's had pole positions. He could be a driver that you could coax into a number two role um, if needed. But, you know, if you want to go for a Constructors' Championship, you're going to have to have both drivers there. And, you know, Ricardo was a consistent and known entity at that stage. Science had come off, you know, a great season, a breakout season at McLaren. He had a podium to his name. Slow start in, in 2019, but, you know, he got that podium in Brazil and helped them to fourth in the Constructors' Championship that year. So that was basically all the information Ferrari would have had on Science. Um, yet they went for Science over Ricardo. So I'm not trying to answer that question for you. I want you guys to, to think about that and, and let me know what you think, you know. So perhaps it was known back then that, you know, this is what a big team like Ferrari think of think of someone like Ricardo. Um but then for Ricardo too, why not be patient with Renault? Why risk going to another team and having to learn a different architecture? The fact that you've embedded yourself in Renault and then in 2020 you ended up scoring a couple of podiums as well, two podiums that season. It could have come better um, in 2021 or 2022, which was the plan in hindsight, that's that's all with the benefit of hindsight. So to then risk it by going to McLaren where, you know, it could have worked, it hasn't worked, and we're in this situation where, it, yeah, as I said earlier, it feels distressing because Ricardo is such a likeable driver. Everyone is a fan of him, even if they're not. Um, and there's a possibility that he might not have a seat next year. You know, where where will he go when potentially you've got the likes of Oscar Piastri wanting to be on the grid? You've got Jack Doohan who, if he does well in F2, wants to be on the grid. Um, uh, will that mean we see Sebastian Vettel go? Uh, Mick Schumacher as well, potentially being on the market there from Haas. So could Daniel Ricciardo end up at Haas, for example? You know, that would be interesting. Or, or Alfa Romeo. So... It's a conundrum. It's 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 very hard to to be in this position where this is a driver who, if you know, this is again the whole question. If uh, if this wasn't the case, if that wasn't the case, if in the hybrid in the start of the hybrid era in 2014, 2016, if Mercedes weren't the the juggernaut that they were, or if Red Bull actually got their act together, you know, with Renault as well and came up with a consistent package I reckon Dan would have won one of those championships easily he could have easily had the measure of um Nico Rosberg he you know to put him up against Lewis Hamilton as well would have been would have been interesting and given how Ricardo made mincemeat of Vettel in 2014 um I reckon he would have had the hunger and intent to do that so perhaps that was Ricardo's window for um, success there at Red Bull, and um, 
you know, with, with Max coming along, it definitely made things difficult. But then when you look at what's happening this year, I'm not saying that Dan should have stuck it out at Red Bull until until this year. But, you know, the fact that Horner has come out and said he, he just wants the Constructors' Championship, he doesn't mind who wins, you know, could their relationship have, you know, stayed strong enough through the last few years, um, Max and Daniel, that is, to have them both fighting for, for the championship this year in, in a Red Bull. So it's all just hypotheticals and, you know, in with the benefit of hindsight, you can make these calls. But, you know, I'm putting it out there. You know, what do you guys think on this on this little debacle with, with Daniel? So we'll leave it at that anyway. Um, we'll recap the points. So good weekend for Max. He pulled out a nine-point advantage over Leclerc. But then the most interesting thing is that Perez is now within six points of um, Leclerc in in second, so that's looking good for him, that's why we're talking about Checo potentially being in championship contention. Um, An interesting point that we pulled out as well during the week was the fact that uh, Mercedes, even though, you know, it was a difficult weekend for Hamilton, and we've got those consistent performances from Russell, that... They're actually not too far behind Ferrari in the Constructors' Championship now. So imagine if Ferrari kind of capitulate later on in the season. It's a 65-point margin, so it would require, you know, serious capitulation from Ferrari and um, some maybe a win or two from Mercedes. They could be fighting... They could be second in the Championship this year. It's it's definitely a possibility, and I wouldn't put it past Ferrari to have one of those um, capitulations, as I said. And that's when I move it on to their blunders. Like, it's not just on the driver side... Uh, sorry, it's not just on the team side we've seen this year that they've had their issues, but Leclerc, you know, I'm going to bring up Imola for the hundredth time and say, what were you doing you know, that's not the maturity of a championship caliber driver to be like, okay, I'm just going to like push for no reason, even though I've got third in the bag and, you know, that they're good points in the bank as well. Go and bin it, you know, lose the points that you would have gotten third by finishing sixth. And then just within a couple of races, here we go, Max is ahead. So, uh, what are you thinking? And then the team again, you know, just lacking that, um, lacking that operational sharpness just to borrow the phrase from uh tom horrocks from monkey seat what he was saying on on grid talk the other day uh, thank you tom for giving me that um uh, that phrase but yeah that's basically what they lack and you look at red bull and mercedes the way they win championships is not just by the driver crossing the finish line in first it's all the other little things that go into it as well such as your strategy the decisions being made on pit wall um, you know, and just not making mistakes, and Ferrari do the same thing, you know, what they did in 2017, 2018, when we saw Vettel lose it, it's happening again, and until that can be fixed, I'm not convinced that they're going to win a championship, so, not that I was at the start of the year either, to be honest, I mean, Ferrari looked a lot more reliable, so I thought maybe Red Bull will lose this one on reliability, but as soon as their reliability's been fixed they've been on fire they've had the race pace superiority in since the Australian Grand Prix oh after Australia all the races we've had Red Bull have had the better race pace doesn't matter if he's quick in qualifying as Leclerc if you don't have the pace in the race then sayonara that's where your points get paid so 
You know, they've just got to turn it around. Now going to another track where Leclerc has not really had the best of fortunes in, and that's Baku. We'll see what happens there. But it was a bit of a blowout for, for Max last year too. So maybe um, we'll see another Checo win. Who knows? Already talked enough about Checo. So he, of course, is not too far behind Max in the championship as well now. 15 points off the leader. Horner, as I said, just wants to construct his championship. But, you know, this whole thing about Jos Verstappen, I mean, just kick him out of the garage. He just, is he another Jacques Villeneuve with with what he says, basically? Um, And then Mercedes, it kind of became evident that in Monaco that the issues that they thought they fixed in um, in Spain, the porpoising and all, haven't really been fixed. I mean, maybe the upgrades in Spain were more of a bandage than, you know, a full-on remedy, um, but, you know, they'll get better as the season goes on. And, you know, while we're on that subject, so I don't want to spoil uh, the the um, Fireside episode much, but I was basically of the belief that I don't think Hamilton can win a championship. I'm sure he can win races and whatnot, and his his legacy from now on, or, you know, what he's going to do in F1 is going to be a lot more than, you know, just winning championships, you know, there's a lot more for him to achieve, um, and, you know, I, I still admire and respect him and everything, but it's not going to be a championship, so I think te- expectations have to be tempered from now on, um, I do think George will probably finish ahead of him this year, unless something drastically goes wrong with with Mr. Sunday. Now we call him instead of Mr. Saturday, but you know it's going to be it's it has to be about the team game for for Hamilton. It's not going to be about the individual glory. It's about you know trying to get second you know in the championship in the constructors, which I know it's going to be not what they're used to, but they've got to do it, you know, it's going to be a team effort, so we'll see how that goes, I've shared my thoughts on DR, Daniel Ricciardo and his McLaren future, Um, it's quite sad, uh, but it is what it is at the moment, and then FIA and the race control, I mean, it's so silly, it's so silly, and then there was also controversy about the rules around uh, crossing the pit lane exit line, apparently something that Red Bull did, but uh, according to the regulations, it was all all correct, and the fact that um, it was apparently like a cut and paste from last year's regulations, so they didn't even uh, look at it with a fine-tooth comb, which is supposed to be their job in this instance, I mean... It's almost like they are self-sabotaging themselves, is, is, is the FIA, which is really, uh, or race control, and that's where it's becoming increasingly, you know, difficult to want to support them, but I know individuals like Eduardo Freitas in particular would be trying to do the best job they can in these circumstances, um, but yeah, just the whole thing needs a reform, you know, but, you know, you can't change people's mentalities, you know, particularly on a team side who've been so lucky, um, the way that they've been treated over the years, it hasn't been as strict as it is now, um, even in the with the drivers as well, uh, you know, getting pulled up over the jewellery and the underwear and that sort of thing, I mean, you know, they were lucky to not have that pulled on them before but you know now because you've got new people in charge and you know following the rules that's what Mercedes and Toto Wolf wanted is for 
rules to be followed strictly and then this is this is what you get so um that's that's kind of where i'll leave that one so yeah and let's quickly finish things off with the indy 500 so massive congrats to uh, marcus erickson and, and chip ganassi racing for becoming the 74th winner of the indianapolis 500 out of 104 drivers that have won this race um it's quite an achievement you've got to say oh sorry 74th winner of 104 editions <laughs> can't even read my own notes at the moment um so uh, 104 races we've had 74 different winners we had um pato award there agonizing for him to finish second behind the swede it was so close between the two there but you know he'll be happy to bank those points for the indycar championship and then also your 2013 Indy 500 winner Tony Kanaan coming through to finish in third. A great result for the veteran there. Um, some of the major incidents, of course, pole sitter Scott Dixon given a drive-through penalty for speeding in the pit lane towards the end of the race, so that kind of took him out of contention, sadly. And, you know, he's, what, five-time pole sitter? He's only won the race once in his career, even though he's a six-time champion or a five-time champion. It's quite bizarre isn't it and then of course having some race ending crashes for the likes of scott mclaughlin caught out by a bit of wind he said uh, roman grosjean as well crashing out and jimmy johnson too who crashed out yet was given rookie of the year or indy indy 500 rookie of the year even though there was a another driver that finished ahead that was classified that was also a rookie so that was quite interesting with that um we had some news during the week as well about um McLaren, Arrow McLaren SP signing um, Alexander Rossi, so he'll be joining Pato Award in the team, whether uh, there'll be, what do you call it, a third car or not, I think it's all but confirmed that they're going to run a third car next year, and whether they're going to have um, a Felix Rosenquist, who's the incumbent, uh there as well that would be a solid team to put them all three to get all three of those drivers together so exciting because you know I feel I'm a big fan of of Alexander Rossi feel like the last few seasons at Andretti is kind of stagnated ever since he had the uh year that he almost won the title went up against Joseph Newgarden I think it was in 2018 and um came up short at the end there so hopefully this will rejuvenate him and uh, put him back in title contention um, but a solid team it's great to see yeah um, McLaren since they bought into the Schmidt-Peterson organization they've taken that outfit to being championship contenders and you know they will only want the best drivers in that instance so yeah, that's, that's pretty much that. I'm glad I was able to hold on for the duration as well with my um, sore throat. I've been kind of soothing it with a bit of tea throughout anyway, so um, we'll leave it at that. Thank you so much for tuning in. As I said, keep an eye out for the uh, next F1 Fireside uh, episode by Grid Talk. Um, an interesting debate there about Lewis Hamilton with with two Toms. Really enjoyed their company for that one, and um, big thank you for to Tom Horrocks for setting that up and having me guest on there. Um, and yeah, that's that's pretty much it. So you know where to find me. There's a link tree always in the description for this podcast. 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter and, and my articles on the Raw as well. So we've got that one about Ferrari this week. So please go check that out. No podcast next week, as always. Um, we'll be back after to do the review for Baku and also look ahead to Canada. Another doubleheader coming up there in June. So enjoy the weekend off. If you're not watching any racing, if you are watching racing, enjoy. I think there's uh, Formula E on this weekend in, in Jakarta, uh, MotoGP um nba finals as well which i'll be trying to check the score after i finish recording um i think i did say on this podcast when when the uh, playoffs started that i'm predicting warriors and celtics to make the finals correct me if i'm wrong but i have been saying that to everyone um or i have been saying it for the last month uh in person to people that i reckon those two teams will make it so yeah if, if you remember what i said please pull me up on it if i'm correct um i won't try and act too smug about it so yeah thanks guys enjoy your week and take care bye